The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. All right, welcome to the Chronic Podcast. I'm your host, Ralph Marlboro. It's Monday. That means we're joined, as always, by Andrew Juge, who breaks down the film and does hardcore player analysis. Andrew, it's a happy Monday for the fourth out of fifth week. Uh, the Saints are four and five. They beat the Falcons, and it's official. They own the Falcons. And um, I want to bring up a point that you made in our email exchange. What the hell is up with the Falcons acting like children, even though they're eight and zero? I mean, what, what was their deal? Yeah, you know, to me, and I told you this earlier today. I feel like the Falcons are not a championship team, and you know, there's a lot of rhetoric coming from us. The two points, the <laughs> Matt Ryan, the pants, the uh, well, I gotta say, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the rhetoric of. They always choke in the big games. You know, they're all talk. There, there's a lot of, you know, we, we use a lot of uh, historical stuff. And, you know, my opinion about that is every NFL team is different. And every year there's turnover in the rosters and there's a chance to, to perform it, you know, to create a new identity. And God knows that the Saints were able to do it. Anybody can. But um, the thing to me that makes me agree with all of it and says, you know what, this isn't a championship team. Atlanta, it's the same old Falcons. They're just going to lose. They're going to blow it again. Is any 8-0 team, any team that is really destined for, for titles, for championships, that, are, that have the heart of champions, aren't focused on one silly rivalry game. Yeah. They're, not focused on, they're not focused on taunting a guy that left them when he's doing his stretching and his pregame routine. They're not focused on taunting the fans so demonstratively after a pick that they get a, a 15-yard penalty for it, which I've almost never seen. Yeah, that, that seen was... The team celebrates so much that they get a flag <laughs> on a pick. So, to me, that, that screams they were so, like, the, the Saints are so in the Falcons' head, and... And even afterwards, you got some players in the locker room that can't take the loss like a man, and they say they whine and they complain and they say, "Oh, it wasn't anything they did, you know? We just gave the game away." Like they, they can't. They, they're lying to themselves, and they can't even <laughs> look in the mirror and say, "We got beat. We lost." They're in denial, and so to me, that that just goes to show once again that Atlanta just doesn't have the heart of a champion. They're not winners. Yes, they have talent, and yes, they're good enough to win a lot of games and get to the playoffs. But ultimately, when you get to the playoffs, I just don't see the character and the maturity and the seriousness seriousness that it takes to win those big games. And if you look at Mike Smith, he was pissed at his players yeah. after Asante Samuel got that interception. He went over the sideline to chew those guys out, and they're just out, out there like thugs being like, yeah, whatever, coach, whatever, coach. They were barely even paying attention to them. And to me, that's a microcosm of the Atlanta attitude, the Falcons' attitude, that they would rather beat the Saints and talk smack to their rivals than actually get focused on winning a big game. Now, Ralph, when the Saints were 8-0, remember when they were 8-0 once upon a time? I do. It was on their fantastic. Way 13-0 and winning a Super Bowl? Yeah. Were they worried? Were they talking about beating the Falcons? No. Talking about running the Falcon. No, they were focused on one thing and one thing only: the ultimate prize. And that, my friend, is the difference between a championship team and a bullshit team <laughs> that talks shit in midseason, talking about sixteen and zero when they're eight and zero because they're just not good enough and they don't have the character. Well, I mean, look, the the whole thing about them taunting Curtis Lofton. During his, during his, they were taunting him so bad during stretch, and Jonathan Vilma went over and was like, dude, could you just wait till the game starts? Could you let the man get stretched 
for the game, God damn it, and not ruin his pregame routine? I mean, that just, that's something, I'm not going to use the word class or something. There's something wrong with that. And then this, how much are the Saints in your head when you're like, dude, we got to go over and give Curtis Lofton shit while he's listening to his iPod, iPod and stretching? Like, yeah, I mean, look, the, the, these guys, they, they all have Lofton's number still, I'm sure, and they, they could have texted him, they could have tweeted him, they, they, you know, they could have been bothering him all week. But pregame routine, to me, they're more focused on that than their game plan and focusing on whatever they need to do to get right before a game. It, I mean, it's just, again, it, it's classic. It, it's, it, it embodies, to me, the low class and just the lack of focus that that team has. And, I mean, can you imagine the Falcons going up against a team that hits like the Redskins or the 49ers in the playoffs? Not the Redskins, Jesus. <laughs> uh, but the 49ers in the playoffs or a team that rushes the passer, a team that can actually defend? Because they didn't play a team that can defend um, this week. But, you know, they play the Giants. The and their run game got They would stuffed. get their ass handed to them. Their run game got stuffed by the Saints. And the Saints' defense is, is I mean, let's be honest, it's shit. And the Saints totally stoned their running game. And there was no reason for Atlanta to, you know, it wasn't like the Saints got way ahead and Atlanta abandoned it. They just couldn't run the ball. Um, yeah, and that's that's a perfect segue. I'm glad you brought that up because, um, you know, we had talked about um, early in the season, okay, at, at this point, the Saints defense sucks. We know they blow. <laughs> and let's just focus on being good at one thing. Yeah. And if anything – I actually saw two good things and one decent thing in that game. Um, they stopped the run remarkably the entire game. The run defense was absolutely amazing. The red, Two, the red zone defense once again has been phenomenal two weeks in a row, and they also had that big stop in Tampa Bay yeah. in the red zone, two, two stops in the red zone against Tampa Bay. So um, that's the third time that we've seen that, and maybe that's the calling card of the defense. Yeah. It's just fantastic red zone um, you know, when teams get inside the 10, they're having trouble punching it in. And then uh, number three, semblance. I won't call it do, doing it well or being good at it, um, but I saw semblance of a pass rush. So um, that, that that's starting to come around. So um, we'll say two and a half good things. And, uh, you know, maybe they're still the worst defense in NFL history, but, you know, we'll take it. That's plenty. Look, and, you know, I like the, the film shows, on the NFL Network and ESPN, where they show the 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 video of the whole the the 22 film they call it, um, and they broke down the Saints' coverage going into this game, and they broke down three or four plays from Philly and Denver where it wasn't so much that the Saints got beat in coverage; it just looked Andrew they didn't know what they were doing. They're just busting coverages all over the place, and people are running like Deshaun Jackson against Philly, where he's he gets a 70-yard touchdown, but there's no Saint guy within 25 yards of him. I didn't see that against Atlanta. Even the throw, the deep throw early, the coverage was good. The Saints just blitzed. They didn't get there, and Matt Ryan made a really good throw. So This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. So are, 
are we seeing the 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 last two weeks where they're making less mental errors in the back end? Uh, I think so. I think that's part of it. Um, but look, I mean, anytime you're, you're stopping the run like that, it's putting a lot of pressure on the other team yeah. to um, at least be good in the passing game. And yes, I mean, it, it's hard to really say, oh, the, the Saints' pass defense is horrible because in this game, in this game specifically, because a lot of those Tony Gonzalez plays, I mean, they, they were all over him. I mean, Malcolm yeah. Jenkins and Harper at times had perfect coverage. And, you know, what are you going to do when there's a 6-7 tight end with a basketball body that knows how to box out? I mean, some of those plays were literally unstoppable. But, you know, they contested some of his touchdowns in the end zone, and Roman Harper had a good goal line um, coverage on, on him. And, and look, Jabari Greer on that deep ball to Julio Jones, what are you going to do, man? It's a 5-9 yeah. corner. Um, going up against a six six five receiver, and so you know, on a jump ball like that on an all out blitz, you know, Julio Jones is going to win that battle more times than not. So um, that's the stuff you can live with, Ralph. That's that's yeah. the stuff where you know, if, if you're at least out there competing and you're making them beat you, as opposed to beating yourself, um, that, that to me that's that's a huge positive. That's a huge improvement over what we've been seeing. Yeah. Um, look, Hakeem. Hakeem Hicks didn't really play that much, but Corey White played a good bit. He had the interception, which all the fans noticed, but I noticed him being more active. How much of an improvement has he been making the last few weeks? Hopefully he's not injured that badly. The Saints are kind of coy on that. But how much improvement has he made? Yeah, he's he had a terrific game, and it's the second week in a row. He's looked pretty good. So um, this was his best game by far, and – if you check out the grades on my website tomorrow on Saints Nation, um, you'll see that he got a very good grade. I believe I, he got an A minus. So um, he 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 played he played about as well as, as he can play, and that was really encouraging. But um, it was a combination of things. You know, really he covered the slot very well, um, so he's getting better in coverage, and uh, he he made a number of plays against the run. You know, just um, running up to the line of scrimmage and getting physical, and so. Um, I think the most encouraging thing with him now that he's starting to get a little better in coverage, which is where he was really getting victimized, um, he, he's kind of turning a corner to where he's becoming a complete player. Um, and that, I think, is what's most exciting about him is he's got speed, he's getting better in coverage, and he tackles and he's physical against the run. And so um, if he can put it all together, he's actually a guy that he's never going to be one of those guys where, yeah, he's great at this, but, man, he's terrible at this. You know, or a corner like you know, like a D'Angelo Hall where he's like, well, yeah, the guy's great ball skills, but he gambles too much and he never wants to hit a running back. I mean, yeah. not, even Deion Sanders, who's, you know, widely known as the best cover guy in history, a lot of people criticize him for not willing to stick his neck yeah. in there and, and get involved against the run. So, um, you know, that that makes me more hopeful. And, you know, obviously his start, his start to the season could have totally wrecked his confidence in his career, but um, he's rebounded pretty nicely here. Yeah, he. I mean, you know, if, if if he ends up being, if you get a starting corner in the fifth round, that's a win because the Saints have him for three more years at a bargain discount price. I think you, you know? got to feel pretty good about this draft, and yeah. you know, the Saints didn't really have much to work with in terms of their picks this year. Um, and if they end up walking away with two future starters in Hicks and Corey White. That's pretty good. I mean, that's what we were begging for out of any of these draft classes. Yep. Please, for the love of God, you know, find that Zach Streif on defense. Find that that uh, Colston. Find that Carl Nix. You know, these late draft picks, these the Chris Ivories, the Pierre Thomases, the Lance Moore. Yeah. Find these guys that are undrafted or low draft picks that can actually come in and make an impact. Um, because short of maybe Jonathan Casillas, who is a role player at best, I can't name a single guy that has come on his defense, come a starter, and made an impact. Um, so those two guys, you know, could be maybe the turn of of finally finding some talent in the later rounds and turning these players into good quality NFL players. No, you're you're exactly right. I mean, and we've we've talked about it. The, dra- the drafting on defense has been as terrible as the drafting on offense has been spectacular. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the offense, Andrew. Um, the run game has been fired up the last couple of weeks, and and Joe Vitt, you know, I, I really think that people are going people knock Aaron Cromer for the decisions that he made, but 
I really think no matter who they would have had as the interim interim guy, that guy was set up to fail. He's going to be the coach for six weeks. He wasn't the coach in the preseason. Joe Vitt was the coach in the preseason. They dropped him in. I think that was just a – no matter – if it would have been Carmichael, if it would have been, you know, whoever, Cromer, you picked it. It was, going to, it was set up to fail. But Joe Vitt's come in. He's made some decisions. They're running the ball. Um, Chris Ivory, he just gives the Saints the team and especially the home crowd. He gives them a a boost that the other running backs just don't. Yeah, he runs with that kind of violent physical nature that you remember the Super Bowl year. Yeah, um, the, the really exciting guy was Mike Bell. You know where he was just a battering ram and he didn't care. He was going to run hard and, and he was going to put his helmet down and he was going to have heavy collisions with players and. You know, I'd say that Ivory is more of a hybrid, you know, somewhere between Mike Bell and, and Pierre Thomas, somewhere in the middle um, with a little bit more speed. Um, but, um, you know, he, he, he's kind of the same way. You know, he, he's actually – he reminds me a lot of Deuce in that he yeah. has that – or at least Deuce before the knee injuries where he had that amazing blend of power and, um, and speed. Um, so he, he brings a different dimension to the running game for sure, and – um, you know, the one thing I will say, you know, he only got seven carries, and I think a lot of people think, well, that's kind of low. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was a close game, and the Saints really couldn't afford a turnover. And if you look at a lot of his runs, um, he is still carrying the football yeah. oh, yeah. too far out from his body. Yeah. And and uh, he's kind of carrying it like a loaf of bread. And so that that's my, my only concern, and that's why I theorize that he only got seven carries because um, late in the game, the Saints just felt like in the second half, we can't afford fumble. We've got a two-score lead, and uh, ball security is not an issue with Ingram or Pierre Thomas. And uh, so I think there was just fear that Ivory would would put the ball on the turf. But um, that, I still think that's the one aspect of his game that that's a liability and could is the reason why he hasn't played extensively. Um, but you know, if he cleans that up, it's the last remaining piece, as far as I'm concerned, to him being a complete NFL back. Yeah, and I mean, he's it like you say he, that. They're, it's one of those things where I think maybe they're seeing it in practice or whatever, but it's just one of those things. He's not going to get late carries until they feel comfortable, and they're never going to feel comfortable until he shows them that he can do it. So he's basically what's yeah. going to have to happen is he's going to have to go, I think, two or three more weeks without fumbling. You know, I think it, you know, I mean, like I said, in this game, there were plays where, yeah, he didn't fumble, but the yeah. ball is just so far <laughs> wide of his body, and that's just technique stuff where you see that and you're just like, my God, I'm so <laughs> glad that someone didn't put their hat on his hand or his, on the football because he would have lost the ball in that situation. And so, yeah, it didn't happen, but um, it, it's the little nuances. It's that little technique stuff that's just so important. Um, to be consistent with, you know, because it's once you get in a pattern where you get these bad habits and you do it often, sooner or later it's going to come back to bite you. And yeah. I'm sure they're reviewing the game tape, and I'm sure they're seeing it, and that's probably what's making the coaching staff a little nervous. Yeah, I mean, and other teams see it too, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, here's the thing. Mark Ingram, to me, look, he's he's played well the last two weeks, but even more so than that, Andrew, he looks faster and quicker to the hole than at any time since he's been a saint, I think. Yeah, well, he had some knee problems, and so, you know, that may have been part of the issue, and maybe he's coming back from that now. Um, but, you know, I think yeah, – I really think Ivory coming back a little bit of a fire underneath yeah. him. You know, because at first, you know, Sproles was kind of the scat back, the receiver, the, 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 the pitch, the outside pitch guy, the guy that got out wide. Um, Pierre Thomas was kind of the jack of all trades. You know, he was the delay handoff guy, the screen pass guy. Um, every once in a while, he, he'd run between the tackles. And then Ingram was the power guy. And so they all three had very defined roles. And, and Ingram, or sorry, Ivory was the odd man out. And so um, with Sproles going down and Ivory coming in, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Ivory's taking these handoffs and ripping off 25-yard runs. I, I really think Ingram was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I guess I need to start playing or my job's gone. And um, I think we've seen renewed passion. I mean, so much about being successful running the football is an attitude. You know, you, you can't have any fear. You can't, you can't be thinking. You've just got to run 
Um, you know, obviously you got to set up your blockers well, and you've got to make sure you're patient. Um, but you've also just got to run with violence and, and aggressiveness. And I, I feel like that's what I've seen out of him now more than before. And he's breaking more tackles too. Yeah, I mean, look, the the running game, the running game is is important for the Saints. Because one, it helps them with the time of possession. You know, we're not looking for, we're not necessarily looking for balance where, you know, by play call. But I'm looking for the Saints to win time of possession because the less time the defense is on the field, the better. Um, but also, too, when the Saints are running the ball, like I said in my com today, if they're running the ball for between 115 and 150 yards a game, this offense becomes unstoppable because Drew Brees does the play fake. And teams have to respect it, and he can start looking for chunk plays like he was last week against Philly, and especially against Atlanta. You know, he didn't. He, they didn't. They hit. They hit a couple of them, but he was looking downfield for those big chunk plays, and teams have to respect it. And it just makes this offense that much closer to 2011, where it was a juggernaut. Oh, it's definitely a lot closer, and you know, I think the one thing. Um you're noticing, and we talked about this last week, is the higher percentage of completions. Now, last week, I think Breeze was around 80, and this week he was around 67. But that's still much higher than he was um, at the beginning of the year, you know. Or, yeah, I mean, for, for this season, now he's like at 61. Um, so, you know, obviously he's raised his, his completion percentage with two good weeks in a row. But um, that, that's what happens. Is, you know, the passing game becomes more efficient. Um, because teams are respecting it. And when Breeze is completing more passes, um, that means less negative plays in the passing game. And, um, you know, so and, – and obviously almost all the running plays were successful on top of that. So um, I think that's the main problem is why it becomes so difficult to stop the Saints because no matter what they're running, every every play that they're throwing at you is, being, is a success. And that, that's when the Saints are deadly. Yeah, and I mean they they were they were even more committed to the run in the last two weeks, especially against Atlanta. They had times in the running game where they would run on first down and they get two yards. And earlier in the year, they run on first down and they get two yards. You can bet your ass they're going empty on that second down. A lot of times in Atlanta yesterday, Andrew, I noticed they'd run for two yards and line up again and say so, and they'd run it again and get five, and it'd be third and three, third and two. So, I mean, and that to me is a you can directly correlate to to Joe Vitt on the sidelines saying, "Run it, run it, run it." Um, yeah. Uh, you know, the, the only downside with this this offense, as I can see, is Jimmy Graham. His drops. I mean, look, love the guy. He's an animal. But when they threw that pass and he was wide open, my thought was, "Oh God, please don't drop it." His his drops are aren't quite um, to the panic level. But it's a really, really big concern. Well, at least in this game, he was able to make up for it. There's been games this year where um, the drops have been so bad and at such yeah. crucial times that it literally, <laughs> you, you wonder, you know, is he a liability out there? Like, is it actually better to not have him on the field if he's going to drop passes like that? Um, so, you know, obviously this time, you know, that, se- look, that sequence where he had a false start and then a drop was just – it was abysmal, man. I mean, it was really just a horrible sequence, and it's like, God, I mean, you're killing us. Um, but, you know, obviously the plays he made um, more than made up for it. And actually, um, that, that was a huge mismatch um, all game because um, the linebacker for the Falcons, Sean Witherspoon, was absent. And um, he is their best cover guy by far out of their linebacking core. And, you know, while it's still – I mean, Jimmy Graham against any linebacker is a mismatch. Um, him not being in there was huge, and the Saints obviously recognized that, and they went to him over and over and over. Because the, the Falcons have two pretty good cover corners. You know, Dante Robinson is not yeah. bad, and Asante Samuel is very good. In fact, Asante Samuel had a very good game against Colson. So, um, you know, overall, that that was what, what the Saints had in the passing game to really exploit. And kudos to Breeze. I mean, that's what I love so much about Breeze is Graham had that god-awful sequence and Brees said, you know what, I don't care. I'm going to keep going to you over and over and over again. And, and that's the kind of confidence he has in his receivers. So, um, you know, thank God for Brees because I really feel like Graham, if he was with a different quarterback, different coaching staff, um, you know, that that's the kind of the kind of play that can just wreck a guy's confidence yeah. and get him mentally checked yeah. out for the game. 
Um, but Breeze, kudos to him. He didn't let that happen, and he just kept going to Breeze and exploiting that matchup. You know, the, the strange thing about Graham, and I was thinking about this today. I didn't put it in my column. But the strange thing about Graham is it's almost like his trajectory as a player – is almost flip-flop. Like, when the Saints got him, we all knew that he was really raw, and he showed a little progress in 2010 at the end of the year, and he was the last three or four games he was really big. He caught the touchdown to win the game in Atlanta, and then he got injured the final week, and I think if they'd have had him for the playoff game in Seattle, they'd have probably won. But it was almost like this year, the way Jimmy Graham is playing – should have been his second year, and last year should have been his third year. It's almost like it's flipped. You would have, you would have expected the inconsistencies that he's had this year with the drops and some lining up and some penalties and stuff. You'd have, you would have expected that in his second year, not his third year. So I, I mean, that's a little bit that's a little bit interesting. But I mean, the good thing about him is I don't think it's I don't think it's a lack of I don't think it's a lack of focus with him. And that he's, you know, hasn't worked as hard. I just think it's, you know, it's like players, you know, they, players can have slumps and you have just like a pitcher in baseball has a slump where he can't, you know, he has trouble throwing his slider or a hitter can't hit. Players have slumps where they just, they struggle catching the ball. And I think Graham is trying to, like you say, he's trying to fight through it and the Saints will, the Saints will deal with it. Um, Andrew, uh, they're four and five. Uh, I think the next, the next, the next three weeks are going to tell the tale. Look, if you can't go – the Saints defense, we make fun of it. It's the worst defense in NFL history and by yards and blah, blah, blah. But let me tell you something, and I, t- I talked to you earlier on this. The Raiders – I work for the San Jose Mercury News, so I, I know people out there. I still read their website. The Raiders the last two weeks, my friend, have given up 55 and 41 points. So the Saints defense, while they're getting a little bit better – the Raiders have totally fallen off the cliff. And if the Saints are ever going to dump truck someone this year, even with their defense as bad as it is, it's got to be this week, Andrew. I mean, if they, if they can't dump truck this Raider team, I, I don't know what to, t- to tell you. Well, you know, you, you often refer to um, teams getting blow, blown out as getting skull dragged. Yes. <laughs> which, I'm, which I'm always a big fan of. So uh, I'm a little disappointed you didn't drop yeah. that just now. But um, I'm, I'm really hopeful that the, the Saints can skull drag the Raiders. But, you know, look, man, th- this is the week, and, and this is a weak opponent. Um, we, we, we talked about this last week where you kind of get to a point in the season where teams start to give up. Yeah. You know, this is where the good teams kind of separate themselves from the bad ones, and, um, you know, the Saints have hit a little bit of a hot streak here where they're starting to play better, and they're playing with some confidence, and they actually have something to play for now. Um, So the Raiders are the exact opposite of that, where they're starting to recognize, you know what, our season's starting to fall apart and it's probably over, and their defense is starting to quit. And so this is a – this is a gimme game for the Saints. If they can get up a couple scores early – yeah. The Raiders presumably will be without Derek, Derek McFadden again, so they're running with the skeleton crew in the in the backfield. And so, I mean, this, this is a gimme game for the Saints. And if they can't come out, at least make you know a few stops and offensively just march all over this Raiders defense, which you know, like you said, has given up 40 points to mediocre to average offenses. Um, then we'll recognize, okay, the Saints are kind of back to their sloppy 2012 form. And, you know, so that that's my big question. Is the team that lost to the Chiefs going to show up, you know? Or, yeah. is, this, or, or is this team going to build off beating an 8-0 eight, eight team, you know, that was considered widely the best team in the NFL this year, which I don't buy for a second. But, um, you know, if, if the Saints can build off their last two games, I really think this Raiders game is bigger than most of us think. I, I'm sure a lot of Saints fans are taking this game for granted, but let me tell you, in this season, we can't take shit. No, they don't have any more. They don't have any more. Let's go to Denver and lay an egg games. They, they, they're, they're, no, they're out of them. They're 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 yeah. between the Denver laying an egg and blowing it against Kansas City. That's it. They're 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 their their screw up games are done because they're four and five. You know, and they're and that, four and five. Yep. And the thing so is, I really think I really think sneaking this one out isn't going to cut it. I mean, this, this has got to be a game where if if the Saints are going to be a playoff team, if they're going to have any shot this season of doing anything, this is the kind of game where the Saints just need to go in there 
and make make it over halfway through the second quarter. Go up, you know, be up 24 to three halfway through the second quarter, and 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 you just watch the Raiders start to quit. Yeah. The, the home fans start to boo them. You know, they know here we go, another 50 burger coming up. Exactly. Exactly. And Drew Brees has that killer instinct in his eye, and it's over. Yeah, I mean, the, the Raiders fans will turn on the Raiders. They're, they're angry, and they, they will stab opposing team fans. But they will also turn on their own fan. They will also turn on their own team really, really quick. And the Saints can easily go 80 yards, touchdown, force a punt, touchdown. Raiders fans will get ugly. And, you know, this is a game where, if the, to me, if the Saints are, are serious about being a playoff team, Chunky Daniels is getting snaps in the fourth quarter, and it's not because Drew Brees is injured. It's because the Saints are up 35 to 10. You know. Well, that, that, that that's what we got to do. That's I mean that that's that's the kind of opponent where you don't let them hang around. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't that's, you know it's not like Kansas City where you kind of let them hang around and yeah. you, know, you make mistakes. It, it's got to be over in in the second second quarter because that. Look, that, that's what the Saints were doing really last year and, and, and a lot more so in 2009. A lot of these games, the Saints were getting up three scores early in the second quarter. And it, it, you just felt it. You felt like this game is over before, you know, before the second half even started. And we haven't had any of those this year. They've had to fight and claw their way to every single win. Yeah. So I'm hoping that this, this Raiders game is going to be an opportunity to just get an early blowout and march to a victory. But, but look, I mean – once again, we we look at the Rams game last season, yeah. and you know the, the Max Hall games and the AJ Feely games, and um, you know any given Sunday, man. Well, I mean any given Sunday, but you know in those games, you know the Saints could lay a clunker because they'd be five and two or six and two or whatever. Right. You know they just they don't have that. I think they I think they realize that, and, and they you know look. Hopefully. If, you know, if, look if they if they can't handle their business out in Oakland. Then just you know it's 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 going to be it's going to be six and ten seven and nine and they'll pick ninth in the draft and that'll be that you know if and you at least we ruin and at least we ruin the Falcons season so exactly. at, least, at least we no matter what happens from here on out we still ruin the Falcons perfect season exactly um, you know and look I think really you know the next three weeks Andrew are going to tell the tale because you got Oakland your favorite on the road. Then you come home and you play San Francisco, and then you go to Atlanta on a Thursday night. That is a very difficult stretch. Now, I know Atlanta has to play on the short week, too, but San Francisco is the most physical team in football, I think. Maybe maybe you could argue the Bears, but to have to play San Francisco at 3 o'clock on a Sunday, and then you're going to play Thursday night against Atlanta, that's a hard ask. And I think the Saints... Even though it's a hard ask, Andrew, they got to get one of those, assuming that they beat the Raiders. Yeah, they've got to go two and one in the stretch, and then probably win out to make the playoffs. But you know, if they go three and zero in the stretch, then things are looking really good. But um, yeah, you can't underestimate how tough of an ask, like you said. You know, first going to the West Coast and then coming back to the East Coast for back-to-back games is, is very tough, and teams don't like to do it. Um, so that that's going to be tough. And then you're talking about getting beat up by the San Francisco 49ers defense and then turning around literally four days later and having to go play the Falcons again, which, uh, you know, is always a physical game for the Saints. So um, that's going to be a brutal physical stretch for the Saints. And um, we'll see how they come out of it. But, yeah, I mean, you got to get the Raiders first, you know. you got to get the Raiders first and then, okay, you know, hopefully you split between the Niners and the Falcons. You, you see where you are from there. Yeah, I mean, look, um, give them, give the Saints credit. Um, they haven't folded. You know, they have a good. It shows they have a really good locker room, and they're fighting their ass off back to five and five if they can get there. Um, you know, the good news to me, Andrew, is I think I'm. Con- I'll be surprised the sixth seed in the NFC is a 10-win team. Because you look at Minnesota, they're 6-4, and four, but they got to play Chicago twice, and they got to play Green Bay twice of their remaining six games, okay? Oof. If they win one of those, let's say they go 1-3 and three in that game, that puts them, that puts them at 7-7 seven and seven already. So 
you're right there. Seattle's a different matter because they play really well at home, but they got to go to Miami and they got to they have a bye week. They go to Miami, they go to Chicago, so and they still have San Francisco to play. So they have they have hard games left to play as well. So I just think yeah, and I, you just listed a bunch of tough games for Chicago too, and they, and their quarterbacks can cut. Yeah. So. so I mean, look, I think I think nine and seven will get you. I think nine and seven will get you a playoff spot in the MC. Now, granted, look, not it may it's, it's got to be the right nine, and you might have to win tiebreaker scenario. But I think nine and seven to me right now with the Saints, you could talk me into nine and seven, and I, I I'd give that I give that like a thirty five forty percent chance of them getting to nine and seven. Ten and six, I just going I just you know going six and one, I just don't see it with the schedule they have left. I I say that's like a 10% chance. Um you know, so but not it's 9 and 7 will get them there. Um and you know, the thing is with the Saints is they have shown a propensity Andrew in the big games to be able to rise up. I don't know if you get to those last two and three weeks and say the Saints are seven and seven and they've got two weeks left when they're playing Tampa and Carolina you know say they're playing Carolina and they need to win and get some tiebreakers it isn't going to phase the Saints because they've won Super Bowls they've been to playoffs they won a division but you talk about Tampa with Josh Freeman and Minnesota with Ponder and Seattle with Russell Wilson you know, when they're seven and seven, eight and seven, and on the road and facing a must win, and they need a drive, and they need a field goal, and they need a stop, I think they're just less likely to get it, even though they might have better talent than the Saints in some spots, just because they haven't been there. Yeah, there's definitely some merit to that. I mean, having Drew Brees in those situations is, is critical. Um, but look, I. I mean, all this, all this looking into the future means nothing if the Saints lose to the Raiders. And and I, again, like <laughs> I have to go back to the Rams last year and, and games before yeah. that. The Saints have an unbelievable ability over the last years, even when they were incredibly successful, of losing to dog shit teams. Yeah. Um. And and uh, this this is as bad as it gets. When the, you know the Raiders are missing their first two running backs, so they're starting number three and number four. And uh, so they have no no real running game right now. Their defense has completely quit and given up an average of 47 to 48 points per game in the last two weeks against mediocre offenses. So um, I just think that the Saints are high off of a big win. Um, you know, I mean, look what Alabama did the week following a big win over LSU. Yeah. And so um, th- this is a perfect opportunity. Um, everybody expects the Saints to win, um, and, and I'm sure – the Raiders somewhere, you know, deep in their hearts or whatever, deep in their souls that are pissed off about the way they've been playing. Um, and, and this is a trap game. It really is. Yeah. They, I mean, this, like you said, the Saints just need to jump. They need to jump on it early and not let the Raiders in it. But part of me is just thinking that this, this defense is so bad that every game the Saints win is going to be within a score. Um, but that said, Andrew, um, give me a project, prediction on, for the Raiders game uh, before you get out of here? Ralph, I just feel like this is the ultimate trap game, and I feel like the Saints team is had a fantastic win this weekend, and I was really happy about that. And I feel like the Saints are hopefully playing better and going to end the season on a positive note, but... Um, I just feel like going to Oakland on the high of beating the Falcons, um, the Saints are going to slip up. I think the Raiders are going to surprise us oh my God. And, and play better. And I'm saying Raiders 31, Saints 28, with a 59-yard – I'm sorry, a 64-yard field goal by Sebastian Janikowski to break Tom Dempsey's uh. record um, at the gun. And uh, – pretty much end our, end our hopes. Fan, for this fantastic. That means I need to get restocked the bar. 
because no, you need to restock the bar for sure. Oh man. So Andrew, on that note, hopefully you'll be wrong, and hopefully you're playing the little reverse jinx game. Yeah, we'll... absolutely. I'm playing the reverse jinx, and please, people, call me out on this next week. We when will. I'm hopefully wrong, and oh. tell me I'm an idiot. Yeah, exactly. Nothing would bring me more joy. But people, go to Saints Nation, read his player grades, read his predictions, read all his stuff. It's fantastic. Um, follow him on Twitter. Hey, hold on, Ralph. I want your prediction. Uh, my prediction, I'm going to say, right now, I'm going to say Saints. I'm going to say Saints 31, Raiders 27, Drew Brees special 75-yard drive to end to end it and. He'll throw he'll throw a touchdown to he'll throw a touchdown to Jimmy Graham late real late with like a minute to go and instead of kicking the field goal to tie to go to overtime, um, and the Saints will be the Saints will be five and five. But people, hey Ralph, I don't think my health can take another game like that. Well, look, I mean, Andrew, this defense is terrible. You, this, this is what the Saints are. They're they're yeah. I just don't. I mean, the only way I could see the Saints dump trucking the Raiders is if Carson Palmer. Is horrendous, which hey, it's possible. Carson Palmer was known to be horrendous, but he'd have to throw two picks. The Saints would have to get the Saints would have to get at least three turnovers for it to be more than a, more than a ten point game. Just because I just see, I just don't see the Saints stopping even with the Raiders, even with their problems. I just don't see the Saints stopping them because the Saints. They haven't stopped anybody. I mean, they they stopped Philly and they stopped Philly in the red zone, but Philly moved the ball up and down the field. I mean, to to expect that not to happen, you're asking for something that hasn't happened all year long. You know, sounds like I, I picked the wrong week week to uh, quit morphine. Yeah, it is. It's just you know, just just get a big bottle of Crown and just start drinking straight out the bottle when the fourth quarter starts, Andrew. That's what you do. <laughs> Stock the bar, baby. Exactly. So. Go to Saints Nation, you know, read his stuff, uh, you know, and hopefully we'll be talking to him next week and the Saints will be 5-5 five and five and we can uh, make fun of you. Please do. I can't wait. All right. This Monday, I had to have a special guest on the podcast. Uh, you know him on the Internet and on the Twitter as the Angry Hoodat. His real name is Dominic. I had to have him on because I love him because he's angry. He insults everybody. He insulted me on Twitter, called me a swimmer, which was my favorite insult uh, since uh, Wang at Moose Denied uh, put my picture with a tampon on one of his posts. Dominic, uh, how are you doing tonight? I had to have you on because you hate Atlanta even more than me, and I didn't think that was possible. Oh, yeah, I'm feeling fucking crazy, man. Uh, we beat them fucking dirty birds. Fuck the Falcons, dude. Uh, oh. You know, uh, it's... Go ahead. Go no, ahead. I, was, I, was go, I was just going to say, your your accumulation of horrible Falcon fans on YouTube was just delightful. But how do you go about one day and say, you know what? I'm going to go on YouTube and spend quality time and find the most horrible, hideous Falcon fans so all Saints fans can make fun of them. And I thank you for it, Dominic, because it's, it's really a public service that you do. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Um, how do I go about it? I, I I didn't really even used to know that this happened, that like, fans would go on YouTube and bitch about their fucking team and melt down in front of all of us. Like, I don't know what goes inside somebody's head to, to make them want to put that public in front of everybody. But the, the really famous one, I put it in that post, the, the angry Falcons fan after the two-point playoff game uh, was just one of the greatest things i ever seen. Somebody emailed me a link one day, and I saw that. And then this week I thought about that video, and I went on there, I decided – let me see if I can find some more, and they're out there. I mean, they're, oh, they're out there. You just angry Falcon or or uh, Falcon meltdown, and just do a search on YouTube, and they just they it lays right out in front of you. I had trouble picking five or six to put in a post because I could have put up twenty of them. You could have. You could melt down a lot, man. It, it is, and the thing is, you. You, you know, me, it's really quite sad that I only have 180 Twitter followers and I'm, and last week I had the most read article on WWL for three days. I just don't engage in Twitter. You revel in going toe to toe with Falcon fans and just dominating them. Um, 
Twitter Twitter was really made for you, I think. I it, it, I've had a lot of fun with it. This is my first football season on Twitter. I mean, I, well, I had a username for a couple of years, but I didn't really use it. I just watched, and it was a good way to get some breaking news because as I started going less and less on the message boards and stuff because they became kind of a big circle jerk and you weren't allowed to call out anybody that's being fucking stupid. Um, I started getting a little bit more engaged on Twitter, and especially since I started blogging, uh, it's been really fun because, uh, number one, there's no rules. I mean, somebody yep. might be a little bit of a bitch and throw an email out to Twitter and get you thrown in Twitter jail for a few minutes, and you check the little box and you're back in. But it, you you just you hit the little so – you don't even have to look for people. You hit the little search tab and type in Falcon or Rise <laughs> Up or whatever bullshit that the, the opponent's tweeting that week, and laid out in front of you – just all in a row is hundreds and hundreds of these people just waiting to be pissed off. And so you just pick them up one by one and hit them with nonsense, and you get immediate gratification because they're if they're not responding to you and getting pissed off, you're either getting blocked or you're getting an email sent to Twitter, and you know you fucking got through to somebody, and that's oh, fantastic. I love it. It is. And, and the thing is with, with Falcon fans, I mean, if – I don't know if you saw it. I, I think I retweeted it. But if the 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 Vic jersey with roll tide on the back doesn't sum up the essence of Falcon fans in Atlanta perfectly, I don't know what does. And the thing is, Dominic, I think that Falcon fans, in their soul, they know that the Saints are having their golden age of football since Drew Brees arrived, and the, the Falcons, to their credit, they're having the best five-year run of their team, and their hated rival, the Saints, own them. The Saints, it's not, I, don't even, I don't even think it's fair to call it a rival. It's a feud. A rivalry is when you win a game, and I win a game, and you win a game, and I win a game. That's yeah. a rival. LSU-Alabama, that's a rivalry. The Saints-Atlanta is just a feud. Dude, a rivalry, a rivalry means there's tension. Means, means it, it, neither side knows what's going to happen the next time you, you take the field together. It, this is a Curtis Lofton said today. We can't even call this a rivalry <laughs> because the Saints just own the Falcons year after year. This is a dude that was a Falcon last year. Okay, he knows. So that's telling me that all the current Falcons know what know know what's up. Yeah, they know what to expect going into the game, and I think the Saints. The Saints for the Falcons is just a perfect example of what we've come to expect of the Falcons because all we heard leading up to this game was this is the 8-0 Falcons, okay? This isn't the 2009-10-11 Falcons. This is a new Falcons team. This Falcons team is ready to take on anybody in the league. They're going to make a deep run in the playoffs, and we might be looking at the Super Bowl in New Orleans. Bullshit. We heard the same shit when, when Mike Smith, and when when Matt Ryan showed up in the first place, oh, a touchdown pass on your on, on on your first throw from scrimmage! Congratulations, dude. This is a new Falcons right here. Next year they don't make the playoffs. Well, and, and the, then we got then we got Julio Jones coming into town. This is a new Falcons here. Now they got weapons on offense. We run a Ferrari now, and what happens? You get blown out of your own stadium in the first game in the playoffs. It, every year it's the new Falcons, man. Every year, but every year. We get the same old fucking result, and every year the media forgets that, and the Falcons fans conveniently they they make themselves forget that, and this shows you right here. This game Sunday shows you this isn't this isn't a new Falcons. This is the same old Falcons, and if they go lose to the Saints in a regular season, the ain't the bagheads, and they ain't got a coach and the worst defense in the whole history of fucking pro football, and 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 you gonna lose. You gonna lose your first game against them. You can't win when it matters, and the same thing's gonna happen in January. You can't fucking win when it happens. We ain't gonna see any wins in February. You're in fucking dreamland, so just enjoy your eight wins. You know you won't have a losing season. Chalk it up as a win and move on. I, I love that. You know, Dominic. The thing is, I think with Atlanta is, I think they're worse. I think the Saints are completely in their head, and they look. I've been a Saints fan my whole life, and look, I was a teenager when the Saints had Jim Moore and they weren't winning playoff games. But when you stack one playoff loss and then another and then another, when you start talking, you're winless in the playoffs, it matters. And to me, Atlanta, 
they were treating this game like it was a huge, huge deal, and they couldn't win. And Andrew, Andrew Juge brought up this in a, the, the segment that I did with him. You know, Dominic, when the Saints in 2009 were just rampaging the whole league, I don't remember one time when, when – during the year where we were like, man, we got to beat Atlanta. That's a big game. Like the Saints, no. it was like bigger. We were like, you know what? We got bigger things to do, Atlanta. We're just gonna we're just gonna dump truck you and go on to play the big boys, New England and Minnesota, and get a trophy. Yeah. It wasn't even like it, it wasn't even a concern. Like it, it it was just like the Saints are going for bigger things, and Atlanta is still trying to get over the hump of the Saints, and they can't even do it when the Saints got the interim coach. You know the 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 Sopranos extra guy on the sideline. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I mean, when I wrote my post today, I was looking at, uh, I was giving those examples of, of every year we hear it's a brand new Falcons, and I thought about 2009, and I had to go back and look on Pro Football Reference and figure out what we did against the Falcons that year. I don't, I don't remember. I remember the Jets <laughs> and the Giants games, and I remember the Patriots blowout. And then I remember the, the, the tail end of the year and a couple of games we lost. And I remember the playoffs. But the Falcons, I, I mean, I had to go back and look. I don't even remember those games. <laughs> they, they were meaningless to me at the time. It wasn't a big deal. And it goes to show you how much we the, the Saints yeah. are in the Falcons' head. You look at Roddy White's trash talk. And Roddy White, he's going to run his mouth no matter if he knows what's coming or not. But when he's running his mouth this week, he's talking about New Orleans. Well, I don't thing, like nothing. I don't like nothing about the city. I don't like the colors. I don't like the stadium or whatever he said. And the food. He said somebody likes the food, and that's the only thing. Nothing about the football game because he knows when he comes into this house, they get fucking stalled. Well, the thing about Roddy White is, look, if you're a receiver, win something. Or be really, really elite. Roddy White's good, but he's not really elite. That's the thing I love about Marcus Colston for the Saints. He's been playing for the Saints for seven years. Dominic, I can't remember one goddamn thing he's ever said. It's been yeah. remotely entertaining. Like Mar- I, don't, I don't even think Marcus Colston does interviews. They didn't even talk to him when he broke the receiving record. I don't think he said anything. He's like, good job. You know, that's... Look, Marcus Colston, if anybody could talk shit, he would have the right to. And I'm not saying you can't talk shit because, look, it's fun. We like it. But, look, if you want to do it, at least win a goddamn playoff game. That's all I'm saying. You know, like, and, 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 and just just if, if, if you're going to talk shit, I mean, I don't mind somebody that's going to talk. Like, Ocho Cinco is a perfect example. He's fun with it. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's fun to listen to him talk. And when Roddy White talks, you can tell it's just its just all about it. it. It's like he's trying to take attention off of the game, and all he does is talk. And when he doesn't produce, he doesn't own it. <laughs> when he don't produce, don't sit up there and tell him we beat ourselves, man. Yeah. We beat yeah. ourselves. They didn't beat us. No, they beat you, dude. Yeah. That's what football is all about. You beating yourself is the other team beating you. Own the shit that you were talking. Look, the best part of Sunday's game that I started watching that's outside of the whistle was Roman Harper on Roddy White. Roman Harper a few times came across the field to bump shoulders with Roddy White after a play. Yeah. It was fantastic. I started looking for Roddy after every play because Roman Harper was in his thrill. Roman Harper had him throwing punches, had him doing his little sissy little push-up thing that he does, hollering for flags. And it, it was just fantastic because, dude, you're supposed to be a premier wide receiver in the league, and Roman fucking Harper is in your head? <laughs> yeah. Dude, well, what's wrong with you, man? Well, I think, Dominic, I think that the, 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 the most important thing besides the defense starting to show a little bit of, of progress, I think the Saints got a little bit of that nastiness, the whole bounty thing, the whole dirty play. I think they got that back yesterday. And, they, and this defense... We know they don't have talent. They don't really play fundamental good. They gotta have something, and I think that edge is what they need to 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 give them a chance down the stretch. But the one thing I want to I want to talk about to you before we get to the rest of the year uh, and wrap this thing up, I wanted you and me have gone back on Twitter, and you've gone back and forth Twitter with everybody. You have a theory about the defense, uh, and I want you to explain it to our listeners. Your theory on what the Saints defense what it is, what it can be, and what it needs to do for the Saints to be successful. 
Well, that's, I mean, it's, it's kind of changed in the last couple of weeks because they've really started to show up. My my thing, my issue, I remember when we went back and yeah. forth, my issue with your, your column was you talked about how this was the worst defense in the history of the league. Statistically, yards-based, is that still true? That's probably still true, I'm it sure. Is. It is still true, but it's but it's they're getting they're getting yeah, yeah. they're getting closer. They're they're if they have a couple of weeks where they hold the team under four hundred yards, they'll get off that pace. But, but here, here's my thing about uh, dude, that might not happen this year. I mean, I'm willing <laughs> to accept that we might not allow less than four hundred yards one time this year. But the thing to me is yards don't yards don't count for shit in a vacuum. Yards don't put anything on the scoreboard. If you if you gain a thousand yards and you score zero points, you scored zero points. Thousand yards is fucking meaningless. Okay. Yeah. So when when you said when you said I wasn't trying to argue that it's not a it's not a a, a, a bad defense. When you said they're the worst defense in the history of the league, of course that's true by yards, and you can't argue with that. But I mean to take that in real world and say there is no there is no other defense that I would rather have the current Saints defense than them in the history of football. And I think that's bullshit because you can talk about the yards all you want. and Ben, but don't break, pisses me off. I mean, that's hard to watch. But how many weeks in a row do you make goal line stands and stops in the red zone before it becomes a pattern? I mean, we did that in 2009 and we won a Super Bowl with it. Not this many yards, but we were giving up yards between the 20s like crazy. And you look at the Eagles in five red zone possessions, and they come away with six points. And then against the Falcons, the big goal line stand. And then the last possession, they get the ball with, what was it, 47 seconds left? Yeah. And we managed to make them turn over and down. Yeah, they didn't well, even run out of time. Well, my thing with, with – with, I'm with you. Yards don't matter. The reason why this defense is atrocious and – until the last couple of weeks, I was convinced they couldn't win with it because the 2009 defense, those yards they gave up were empty yards. But the, the 2009 defense, it did a couple of things. One, it got off the field on third down. It created turnovers like a son of a bitch just from the first game to the last game when Tracy Porter picked off Peyton Manning and ran in the end zone. And also it was a middle of the pack in sacks. Dominic, if this defense can just do one thing a week well, I'll take it. If they can sack the quarterback against the Eagles and give the red zone, that's beautiful. If they can against Atlanta be good in the red zone, that's fine. But they got to do they've got to do one thing a week well. Well, we need to do a specific thing a week well every week, and that's pressure the quarterback. Real quick, you said get off the field on third down. I don't know what the what the tally is after Sunday's game, but going into this week, you know, we were tenth in the league at third down conversions on defense at getting off of the field on third down. We were 31st at giving up first downs on second down, and we were 32nd on first down. So third down wasn't really the problem. It was the first two downs. Yeah. But we, we have to pressure the quarterback and, and because if you don't get pressure and you've got five to ten seconds back there to make a decision and, and know where to throw the ball, that changes your whole yep. defense. And, yep. and we, we don't have guys that are going to cover for five and six seconds. We don't have shutdown corners. They're never going to be that guy. What they are is aggressive, and they can be playmakers, and they can get in there and bat a ball down or get a pick. And they can't do that when they know ahead of time that the quarterbacks will have that long to pass. It's not just about getting the ball off early. It's about knowing that he doesn't have to get the ball off early. And that corner, knowing he's got to stick with that receiver through three and four moves, he can't jump routes if he's got to do that because if he jumps the route, he's going to get burned if the quarterback has two, three more seconds to throw. So if we get pressure, which we've done the last two weeks, look what the defense has done. Yeah. 13 points against Philly. Um, uh, uh, granted, it's a pretty bad offense at times. But And then the Falcons, if you hold the Falcons to 27 points, you're going to beat them. Yeah. We don't need the, the 2,000 Ravens. We don't need the 49ers defense. We need somebody that's going to be just good enough to let Breeze outscore the other team. Well, and with the running game going and everything, I mean, I, I think we have that for most games right now, provided that we can keep getting the quarterback. Well, here's the thing. The Saints are 4-5, and five, and give me your outlook for the rest of the year. This, I think they've got, 
if the if the schedule wasn't so brutal, I'd be very very bullish on them getting there. But they're four and five, Dominic. They got seven games left. What do they have to get to? And what's the number they have to get to in your mind to have a realistic shot at the playoffs? And do you think they'll be able to get there? Uh, what we have to get to, probably ten and six. Ooh. I would think, um, but I think I think it's possible that somebody could sneak in at, at nine and seven. I mean, you, you look at there's just not there's there's the, the the top two or three teams in the NFC, and then there's a bunch of mediocrity. And when you're looking at team, the the leading team, I think for the for the sixth seed right now is six and four, six, yeah, something like that, five and four, six and four. So you're talking. You know, a game or two out right now. I think nine and seven might get it, but I think ten and six undoubtedly will. Seven games left. If the team keeps playing like they have for the last five games, they've won four out of five. I, there's not a game on the schedule they can't win, but sometimes you 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 lose games that you that you can that you can win. I I, I think we get to. I think we get the nine and seven probably, yeah, well, and we're trying to sneak in, and we're relying on tiebreakers. Well, I mean that's that's you know that's that's pretty possible. I, I think Dominic, the next the next three weeks they got to be six and six getting to the last month because they got to dump truck the Raiders if you want to go to the playoffs. Look, the Raiders defense last week two weeks giving up a hundred points. You got to go to Oakland and dump truck the Raiders, but then you got San Francisco, and you know that game is going to be a war. And then you got a short week against Atlanta. I don't know if they can go three and zero these next two weeks, but if they can get to six and six, I think they'll have a shot. You know, so I mean, and I'll, I, I want six. I, I think six and six is is a minimum. I think. I mean, if you don't get to six and six, I, I think we're done. But, well, yeah. I mean, obviously, because we got we got seven losses at that point, we'd have to win out just to even have a prayer. But. The 49ers game, I think, is going to be really telling if they can if they can hang on at that point because I think we're going to go beat Oakland. I don't think that's going to be an issue. We go in there and beat San Fran at home. The Falcons got a short week too. I mean, we yeah. both got a short week, and and we own the Falcons. I don't. I'm just not. I'm not. Fuck the Falcons, man. I'm not worried about them. We can take care of business in the Georgia Dome. We've been doing it every year, so I think we've actually won like. Four or five straight in the Georgia Dome, or or five out of six, or something like that. So, I mean, we can handle business there. If, if we can win the next three, I mean, that's a big if, especially with San Fran. If we win the next three, we're looking pretty good. Well, I mean, if if they get if they get to seven, if they get to seven and five, that means they've won a ton of games in a row, and that means the things that we're sta- seeing on defense, Dominic, like you said, the red zone and the decent pressure, that means those things are going to stick around. And once you start seeing them three, four weeks in a row, it's not just a fluke, it's a trend. Um, and I, My final thing is, you. I don't know if it was you that brought it up on Twitter, but you were involved in the, in the back and forth, and it was, what would you... Somebody somebody tweeted something about how they would love to to see the Saints play in Atlanta in the playoffs. And I said I would give up the right to vote to see the Saints oh, man. play the Falcons in the Georgia Dome this year because, to me, that would just be a great spectacle because spectacle, all the pressure would be on them. There'd be no pressure on the Saints. To me, if the Saints get into the playoffs after this clusterfuck of an offseason, it's just gravy. What would you give up to see the Saints play Atlanta in the playoffs this year? Oh man, I don't even know. I don't, I, I'm trying <laughs> to think of something I wouldn't give up, man. Besides, you know, my my wife and my job and my roof over my head. That's about it. I mean, anything else you can think of, it's yours. If we, if we get Atlanta, and if we, and to be in the Georgia Dome for a playoff game, I mean, I was a I was an attitude. I did the road trip already in Denver. That's my yearly road trip this year. And at the beginning of the year, I'm thinking we're going to save up money for the Super Bowl. And if we're in the playoffs, that's a legitimate possibility. And I would possibly give up a trip. I would possibly give up the amount of money it would take me to get into the Dome for a Super Bowl (laughs) just to go to Atlanta and watch that game in Atlanta. I think that would be worth it. 
I want I want that to happen just so that I can have no work done after like two o'clock, and I can just get on oh. Twitter and just watch you just troll for just hours upon hours. It'll be it'll be like the it'll be like your Twitter Mona Lisa, Dominic. That's that's what it would be. If, if, if we if we face the Falcons in the playoffs that week before the game, I'll I'm putting it all out there. I was worried this week. I'm gonna say I told my friends I said you know if we somehow unlikely event we lose this game in the dome, I'm not gonna be able to get on the internet for a month. And if 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 we go to Atlanta and somehow God help us if somehow we were to lose there, I'd have to just. I'd have to get. I'd have to lose the internet, man. I would. I'd have to just sign off of Twitter and close the blog, and because I, I'm putting it all out there the week before, man. Dominic, it's been a pleasure. Um, ever go to Angry Hudad. Go to follow this man on Twitter. He is just fantastic. He's angry, but he's fair. Um, you go at him, he'll come right back at you, and I love it. As long as you have an opinion and you know what the hell you're talking about, I'm for it. Dominic, it's been a pleasure, um, and we'll talk to you down the road, and hopefully we'll talk to you after a Thursday night game, and the Saints can be in playoff position, which when they were on four, I didn't think it was possible, but now I think there's a shot. I'm, I'm ready for it, man, anytime. All right, thanks, man. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.